The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. Greetings, scribes. Just a quick break to recommend our recent sponsor's Book of the Month. Book of the Month makes reading better by offering members a few new book selections each month to help you cut through the noise, save time, and make it easier to decide what to read next. Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles and picks five to seven of the best new books for you to choose from. All of these books are good, so you really can't go wrong. Book of the Month helps readers like you and I find books that we wouldn't normally discover on our own. The cool part is selections largely focus on new and upcoming authors in multiple genres. Book of the Month also recently launched curated audiobooks, so members can get a hardcover or an audiobook each month, which you can then download and listen to right in the app. This month, I chose A Little Supernatural Fair in Murder Road by New York Times bestselling author Simone St. James, described as the story of a young couple that find themselves haunted by a string of gruesome murders committed along an old deserted road in this terrifying new novel. Just go to bookofthemonth.com to pick your first book and join Book of the Month. That's bookofthemonth.com. And for a limited time, you can join and get that first book for just $9.99 with the code CHIRP. That's C-H-I-R-P. Enjoy. Rainmaker FM. And welcome back to The Writer Files. I am your host, Kelton Reed, here to take you on yet another tour of the habits, habitats, and brains of renowned writers to learn their secrets. The multiple New York Times bestselling author of The Blue Zones books and National Geographic fellow Dan Buettner dropped by the show to talk to me this week about his world travels, life-saving longevity research, and some fantastic advice for writers. The author is an internationally recognized explorer who's discovered five places in the world he calls Blue Zones, where humans live the longest and healthiest. And his 2005 National Geographic cover story, Secrets of Living Longer, was a finalist for a National Magazine Award. Based on his Blue Zones work, Dan founded a company of the same name to share the world's best practices in longevity and well-being, and has helped to successfully raise life expectancy in American cities, including both Minnesota and Los Angeles. Mr. Butner's been featured on Bill Maher, CNN, David Letterman, Good Morning America, and The Today Show to discuss his research. His TED Talk, How to Live to Be 100 Plus, has been viewed almost 2.9 million times, and he's given more than 500 keynote speeches over the last 10 years. In this file, Dan and I discuss wise words from the author's mentor, George Plimpton, why good stories are the Trojan horse to winning over readers, how a decade of research and writing became a life-saving blueprint for American cities, the coffee shop effect for productive writing, one great trick for beating writer's block, and why building your brand is so important for writers. Just a quick reminder that The Writer Files is brought to you by Studio Press, the industry standard for premium WordPress themes and plugins. Built on the Genesis framework, Studio Press delivers state-of-the-art SEO tools, beautiful and fully responsive designs, airtight security, instant updates, and much more. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why over 194,000 website owners trust Studio Press. Go to rainmaker.fm slash studiopress now. That's rainmaker.fm slash studiopress. All right, we are rolling today on the Writer Files with a very special guest, Mr. Dan Butner, author extraordinaire, New York Times bestseller, and uh, author of Blue Zones uh, in its many iterations. Thanks for coming on the show, sir. It is a delight to be here. 
<laughs> I understand we have a mutual friend in uh, one Adam Skolnick, a, a longtime oh. friend of mine. You know, I just met him and we instantly became friends. It's like one of those uh, yeah, Celestine prophecy things where you just knew you had to be in each other's life somehow. So <laughs> big fan of his work. Yeah, well, that's really interesting. Um, I was visiting Mr. Skolnick out there in Malibu, and uh, and uh, your name came up because um, he is uh, putting into practice quite a few of your your Blue Zones um, uh, tenets. Book. Tenets, thank you. And I found it very inspiring, and and I actually sought out the the book because I wasn't familiar with it. And um, wow, it's just a, a, an amazing story. And uh, maybe we can start there. So for listeners who might not be kind of familiar with your journey, um, this, this, this uh, uh, fantastic thing that is the Blue Zones phenomenon, um, maybe you could catch us up a little bit and kind of tell us about your origins as a writer and how you became this um, best-selling, not only best-selling author, but also now renowned um, educator and speaker. Well, I, I've been an explorer for about 30 years and have written always as an advocation, as a way to support my habit. I, I was uh, mentored by the great George Plimpton, former editor of the Paris Review and uh, writer of Paper Line, among others. But he kind of imparted to me the notion that if you can learn how to write, your your career uh, is in your brain. You're, it's like a, your suitcase is in your brain. Hmm. You can go anywhere and unpack it. And um, so I, I hold records. I bike from Alaska to Argentina. I hold a record for biking around the world and another one for biking across Africa. Mm-hmm. And for each of those expeditions, I wrote for Chicago Tribune or Outside Magazine, wrote books. And then I did a series of interactive expeditions that unraveled the Maya collapse. And I worked my way up to National Geographic, where I've become a, a fellow there and a fairly frequent uh, writer. Uh, their books and their magazine. And um, uh, about uh, a little over 10 years ago, I had stumbled upon Okinawa, Japan, which a small island about 800 miles uh, south of uh, Tokyo. It's actually an archipelago. But uh, it has the longest disability-free life expectancy in the world. In other words, people are living an extraordinarily long time and avoiding the diseases that are killing Americans heart disease, cancer, diabetes, et cetera. And I thought, aha, this, there must be a, a, this a good story as to why this has happened. This would be a good mystery. Yeah. And I got uh, National Geographic and the National Institutes on Aging to fund uh, the research. And, uh, and we were off. It's amazing. It's amazing. So uh, the Blue Zones research has uncovered these, these amazing strategies on longevity and so you've been working on this for 16 years, is it now? Well, not quite 16, but but uh, over a decade for sure. Yeah. And the idea is we know that about 20% of how long you live is dictated by your genes. The other 80% is dictated by the lifestyle and environment. So if you can find places that are achieving the health and longevity outcomes we want, you should be able to reverse engineer what they're doing. And it it took three years alone working with demographers to identify these five blue zones, Okinawa, Sardinia, Italy, Mikoya Peninsula of Costa Rica, Icaria, Greece, and among the Seventh-day Adventists in Loma Linda, California. All of them are living measurably longest. And then we put together a team to reverse engineer it. 
And there are a lot of, and we can go into anything you want. I mean, we found the diet, uh, the ideal diet to live to be 100. We found the constellation of social and sort of inner self uh, factors. Mm -hmm. Uh, But at the end of the day, if you're just spewing facts and figures, the readers get bored in a hurry. So I had to call upon the narrative skills I developed over the years to embed these findings in good stories. And they're like, they're like the Trojan horse to get into people's psyche <laughs> and get them to, to internalize these ideas. And, yeah. and that's really uh, well, the secret sauce for, for Blue Zones. Yeah, well, you know, I've been reading the Blue Zones Solution and, um, you know, you're talking about uh, these amazing ideas. And it's true. It is, it is kind of sinking in with these, these great stories you tell in there. Um, so kudos. And I'll definitely point listeners to that, the Blue Zone Solution, and um, all of your other work there. I mean, where is the bulk of your writing out there? Is it the Blue Zone's website, or do you have some other, aside from Amazon, uh, places where listeners can connect and find it? BlueZones.com, and uh, if you search National Geographic, I've written three or four articles and three books with them. Um, yeah, and I did a very popular TED Talk, if you don't like to read. <laughs> almost three million views under That's right. Living to 100. You know, blue. the first book was just called The Blue Zones, Lessons from the Longest Lived People, and that's the story of finding these places and what they teach us. And Blue Zone Solution is another genre of science that deals with how you get lifestyle behaviors to stick. Because when it comes to longevity, there's no short-term fix. There's no pill or genetic intervention or hormone, even on the scientific horizon. So if you want to live longer, there's, you know, we identify nine things, nine facets that yield a longer life, but you have to do them for not just a few weeks or months. You have to do them for decades. So Blue Zone Solution is really about how you set up your life so that longevity ensues, as opposed to the American ethos, which is, damn it, I'm going to get healthy and then I'm going to schedule workouts and and try to get on this diet. Both strategies almost never work. Yeah. And um, so Blue Zone Solution attempts to harness what does work for the long term and um, uh, and, and suggest a format to, to apply it. Yeah, it, it, it's very important, um, the message here. And, and obviously, we're here in, in the United States, we're inundated with, as you as you note, mar- the marketing piece of it, as well as, you know, kind of um, our, our societal <laughs> issues. Um, you know, we're just, we're, we live in a, definitely a kind of a fast food nation, right? And uh, there are a lot of other pieces of our, our uh, the fabric of our culture that are are very kind of uh, married to that, unfortunately. But um, anyway, the, the the book is truly compelling. I mean, there's just so much, so much great stuff in there, and it really does uh, kind of stick with you, um, and hopefully readers um, that uh, that find it. But but you're doing some other important work as well. Um, are you are you currently still doing the Twenty City program um, to improve uh, health here in America? Yeah. So. If you look at the five blue zones and spry centenarians who live there, none of these you know guys who are standing on their head at a hundred or 
women who are still doing yoga at 106 ever said to themselves at age 50, well, go darn it, I'm going to get on that longevity program and live another 50 years. They didn't get on <laughs> diets or exercise. It's, right. it, uh, they live a long time because they live in the right environment. And that was the big aha. So again, instead of thinking about pursuing, think of uh, how you shape our surroundings so that the healthy choice is not only easy, but unavoidable. And there are four kind of facets to these blue zones of living longer. One is being nudged into physical activity all day long. So in blue zones is about once every 20 minutes. They're out gardening or walking or their houses are deconvenienced. Number two, eating less. There's all kinds of long-term strategies you can deploy to eat less at every meal. Big plates, no TVs in your kitchen, et cetera. Uh, eating more plants. Longest of people are, are close to being vegans. Uh, maybe a little fish, very little meat. Uh, they have a strong sense of purpose and they hang out with other healthy people. So we've come up with a citywide template that sets up ubiquitous nudges and defaults in entire cities. Amazing. And we've been doing this for eight years and our most successful cities are in Los Angeles, actually. Uh, three cities called the Beach Cities, uh, Redondo, Hermosa, and Manhattan Beach, where we've managed to lower the, uh, the, the, the collective weight of 125,000 people by about 17%, cut childhood obesity in half, cut smoking by 30%. And this will occasion probably three to four extra years of life expectancy per person on average. And uh, uh, tens of millions of dollars of healthcare savings. And that's simply by putting the wisdom of, of these long lived cultures to work in America. It's, it's really, really amazing work. Um, and kudos to you for all the, the, the successes that you've had with it. It's just, uh, it's pretty staggering to see that, that those results are, uh, just, uh, amazing. <laughs> that's all I can say about that. But um, I'd love to dig into your process a little bit as a writer. And um, are, you, are you presently working on a, a writing project? Yes, I'm working on a story for National Geographic magazine and, and a, a book. And both of them are sort of a, a, a Blue Zones approach to happiness. Mm. And um, so I'm, I'm, uh, I write every day. Awesome, awesome. Except weekends when I goof off. <laughs> so you're obviously putting in quite a bit of research. I know that you've got kind of a team of people that have helped you in the past. How much time a day would you say you're kind of reading or doing research for this? I, I tend to focus just on research for a period, and then I come back and I write mm -hmm. the research I just did. I don't try to research the whole book, but I it's kind of chapter by chapter. Yeah. So, and then when I get in writing mode, I just pretty much stay. I try to write in the mornings. Uh, on an ideal day, it's eight in the morning till noon. Because after that, I'm burnt out. Yeah. And um, the the and lots of days nothing comes. Some days it just gushes. Mm -hmm. But unless you're the seat of your pants is on the seat of the chair, the gush is not gonna. <laughs> you're gonna miss the gush. So I, I try to be real disciplined by sitting, turning off the email server turning out the phone and just trying to put four focused hours in a day and then, and then, um, and then do other, I run the other, um, work in the afternoon, the city yeah. work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I think as writers and the amount of time that you're kind of spending in solitude, um, 
you know, I, I'd be interested in some of the parallels between, you know, the Blue Zones and, and the, the, the Blue Zones writer, which you kind of embody. Um, but do, have you ever ex- experimented with, say, like a standing desk or any other kind of, uh, you know, things to get you more active while you're, while you're actually sitting and, and getting worse? Oh, interesting question. Uh, you know, I have a standing desk at my Blue Zones office, but when I write, I like white noise. Mm. And um, I actually, the, the, the noise inside of my head is far louder than the noise in a cafeteria <laughs> or cafe. So I go to a cafe where there's white noise, uh, where people don't recognize me. Yeah. And I'll, I'll sit in a chair and, and add cafe, caffeine to that, and I'm, I'm in pretty good shape. That's cool. That's cool. And I know that you're a big proponent of both green tea and coffee, um, which, so kudos, uh, as am I. Uh, they keep me alive, I believe. Yeah. But, um, well, that's cool. So, I, I mean, I think there is a, a, a well-known kind of psychological neuro uh, scientific explanation for the coffee shop effect, which is that not only is, the, is, the, is that white noise or brown noise um, kind of uh, um, helping your brain somehow, but at the same time, you're seeing like psychological cues from other people that look busy so you you feel like you're you are bi- being busy because they're being busy. It's kind of a, uh, what neuroscientists call the mirror neuron effect. Um, so you kind of mimic them <laughs> when you yeah. see, see people typing. Uh, and then the, and then there's something about other people watching you. It's like you you feel um, like the eyes on you are somehow you know. And I'm sure you've recognized this as a journalist. Like being around other journalists, you kind of f- feel more productive because everyone's working. Uh, all the time, but you know, maybe I'm. Uh, yeah, well, uh, you know that all makes great sense to me. But for me to, you know, sit in a corner in my house, it's just set for four hours every day. It just sounds kind of sad and boring. <laughs> Whereas, at least in your cafe, you're 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 in the flow of life, and yeah. there are people, and and I think there's a, a evolutionary uh, joy that comes from camaraderie of others even if you don't necessarily know them yeah. and every once in a while a small conversation will pop up to punctuate the, the morning but um uh, maybe i'm just an extrovert and like people <laughs> but i i find it's you know and i hate well first of all i think people tell you they love to write probably aren't writers because <laughs> i i think true writers absolutely hate writing but you can i think mitigate the uh the pain by by being with others and you know maybe watching them suffer too (laughs) (laughs) yes yes well uh okay so here's the million dollar question i'm sure i know the answer to this one already uh do you believe in writer's block yeah i i experienced it Daily, several times a day. <laughs> Perfect. But I'll tell you one trick. I, I, you know, I just write through it. I, I say I, I force myself, and this is my own inner dialogue. I have to just sit with it. And other writers will say, "Well, go do something else." Well, if I go do something else, my mind will be off a million miles a minute. I have to sit with it and noodle through it. And, um, and often, I, I maybe I won't. Um, I won't bust through it, but I'll, I'll, I'll dent it enough that 
maybe the next day when I come back, I can break through the dent rather than just picking up where the block was. So I like that. Uh, yeah, it's, you can't let it beat you. You can't <laughs> surrender to it in my opinion. That's right. That's right. Well, let's talk a little about your workflow a little bit. Uh, are you a uh, Mac guy or a PC guy? Mac. And are you working in Microsoft Word, Scrivener, other obscure Word? Uh, Word, yeah. Word, but you know what? I'll tell you something that works when, when I have writer's block. There's a few writer friends of mine who I have conversations with, and I'll write them an email. Like if I can't figure out how to noodle through this section, I'll just sit down and write them a note like, uh, Hey, Adam, I'm trying to get past this thing. And here's what I'm thinking about. I'll start writing like I'm in a conversation. Hmm. And before I know it, you know, I've, I've written it. I've written my way past the block, Yeah. you know, and then I just, you know, sit, copy myself on it and copy and paste and put in the text and massage it back into the flow. Oh, I've heard that trick before from quite a few different fields of writers, including uh, copywriters. Actually, computer programmers use a, a method called rubber duck, the rubber duck method, where you, you put a rubber duck on top of your computer and you explain the problem to them that you're having. And usually by the, <laughs> by the, t- by the time you've explained it, you've already solved the, solved the problem. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's a fun one. Um, cool. Okay. So do you have any, any, uh, gold, uh, organizational hacks that you kind of keep around that, that, that are, are good for writers to claw onto? What do you mean organizational hacks? I don't know. Just something in your workflow that you kind of, you know, you know, a lot of writers like the, the Evernote or the, you know, kind of, uh, doing the, uh, um, voice to text or, you know, you keep a notebook in your back pocket when you're kind of traveling the globe. How do you keep all everything together and organized? I can type really fast. So most of, I try to, for the most part, use original sources. So rather than, you know, finding it in a book or an academic paper, I'll try to go interview the top expert or, or find in, characters who embody the point I'm trying to make. Mm. And and I try to go see them. And when I talk to them, I can type as fast as they talk. You know, there'll be some errors and so forth. Wow. So, you know, I just spent 10 days in, in uh, Singapore and I did probably 30 interviews and I have about over a hundred pages, but it's already written. You know, it's a lot easier than to take that written and I also, while I'm interviewing, you know, if they're kind of droning on about something I don't need to capture, I, I will capture the surroundings so I have the context of mm. what they're wearing and what it looks like and, you know, what they feel like to be around. And and so it kind of gets a bunch of the work done ahead of time. Yeah, yeah, kind of brush strokes and, and, then, the, and then the micro and macro thing. That's cool. I like that. Uh, okay, so how does Dan Butner unwind at the end of a long, uh, writing or research day? Well, right after I hang up with you, I'm going to get on my bike and bike up a hill above Santa Barbara. And then I'm going to come back down and have happy hour with a red wine. And, uh, that's, that's a pretty good reward for me. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, a couple creativity questions for you. How do you define creativity kind of in your own your own words, your own estimation. Uh, strategic serendipity. Uh, you, 
I don't think you can uh, force creativity. I think you can put yourself in a situation where it's likely to happen. And it, it, um, I think it comes when you reach that, that uh, condition of flow, when mm. you're writing about something that interests you and uh, it, it's one of those rare gleeful streaks where time flies by and almost a subconscious intelligence kicks in that allows you to uh, almost surprise you. But, uh, but, you know, I'm a nonfiction writer, so I don't rely on creativity as much as, you know, most of the real writers out there. <laughs> well, I would firmly disagree. Uh, I think creativity is, is intrinsic to what you do and what most writers do. It's just uh, expressed in a, in a different way. But uh, do you think you have a creative muse right now, something that's kind of driving you? Well, I'm intensely interested in what traditional peoples of the world can teach us about living better. And that's my general, the general pursuit right now. And then once you tease that out, how do you convey it in a way that will hold readers' interest? And especially as intention spans condense and um, you know, people want shorter things and right to the point, how, how do you keep the story component to it, but still convey interesting and uh, accurate information that people can use? So... It's less of a muse and more of a process, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and one could say they are one and the same at, at times. Um, what, do, what do you personally think makes a writer great? S- keeping your ass to the seat <laughs> and keeping at it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a handful of people who are, you know, the Mozarts and the Shakespeare's, but most of us are, are craftsmen. And the only way you get good at your craft is put in the the cliched 10,000 hours. And I really believe that. And uh, a great writer sticks at it for decades and hones his or her craft and uh, doesn't get dissuaded or sucked into the business of it too much and and stays true to their uh, interests and their passions and figuring out how to convey those passions to people who want to read about it. Yeah, yeah, aptly, aptly put. Um, do you have a couple uh, faves on your uh, nightstand right now? Well, I'm reading Eckhart Tolle right now, who has wrote uh, A New Earth. He, he's he's done a good job at sort of synthesizing Buddhist thought mm. and and applying it. Um, but Herman Hesse, for me, is the my my turn to writer when it comes to storytelling with content. Uh, Journey to the East is a great fable, or Siddhartha. Um, they're they're among my faves, and and then of course, if I really need inspiration, I turn to Hunter S. Thompson and uh, um, the Book of Revelation. <laughs> yeah, and and Hunter um, kind of redefined uh, journalism in a way um, with his uh, Gonzo style and. Um, he kind of lived the opposite of the blue zone <laughs> ethos. Yeah, <laughs> but, of course uh, he, he he died young. <laughs> yes. So, um, do you have a best loved quote kind of hanging over your desk, like most writers do? Something you could share with us for for inspiration. Uh, 
when, when the going gets weird, the weird turn pro. <laughs> and who said that? <laughs> Hunter S. Thompson. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, all right. So I know that we are short on time. You need to get on the bike so we can uh, skip the um, last few questions. But do you have uh, some wisdom for for your fellow scribes, your fellow writers on it? Just how to keep going, how to keep the the ink flowing, the cursor moving, and uh, avoid the dreaded uh, block, as it were. Maybe segueing a little bit. What what I've learned, you know, freelance writing is so vastly underpaid. You know, we're becoming a commodity. You're only as good as your last article. And I've learned a long time ago that if you can create a brand and write under a brand and build that brand, uh, you're better off in the long run than just being another name pitching stories. And um, um, that's, I think, something to think about because at the end of the day, uh, a good brand, you know, Blue Zones at the end of the day was a brand under which I wrote about longevity. And now the brand is worth way more than I ever made from the books. So um, that that has been a powerful lesson to me and I, one I, I, I'd share with other writers. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, the brand is fantastic. The Blue Zones is uh, not only inspiring, but um, important, I think. Uh, I think before I point readers uh, back to Blue Zones and, and, and your other writing, um, my final question to you is, as an Emmy uh, award-winning co-producer of a uh, this, this fantastic uh, uh, documentary you did, Years ago, Africa Track is that the name of it? Yes. Uh, do you have any plans to get back into TV? I noticed that um, National Geographic is kind of uh, changing their scope of their TV stuff. Do you, are you doing anything with them on that, or is that kind of in your review? Well, you have to make so many concessions to do TV. It's so dumbed down. Um, it's not a it's not a place to necessarily make money. So it's neither. A place for me to tell stories, nor you know, place to. Um, I, I, my time is best spent elsewhere. But what I do try to do is make sure when the books come go come out that they're going to be media worthy, and then I try to get the high profile daily shows and the CNNs and the Fox to cover that, yeah. and and that TV publicity fuels the sales of the book, and. I'm not out there horn it all the time, horn myself on TV. It's like I can do a project for a few years and then come out, do a big blast. But I do pay attention to it, making sure there's visuals to illustrate what you do uh, in your in, in in your writing uh, really helps drive book sales when 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 your book comes out, and and that's that's a a worthwhile strategy, I think. Awesome, awesome. Well. Um, the best-selling uh, Blue Zones and all of its um, different iterations, including most recently the Blue Zones Solutions. And we can find those at bluezones.com. Is that right? Yeah, or Amazon. And Amazon, of course. Um, I think uh, they're pretty easy to find at this point. Dan Butner, uh, the brand is all pervasive. And uh, you have been on Bill Maher, CNN, David Letterman, Good Morning America today. I mean, just amazing. So uh, you're obviously doing, you're, you're practicing what you preach and, and doing very well. So, hey, thanks for coming on the show and, and chatting with us. I've, it was great. And I salute you for uh, 
bringing writers together and creating camaraderie and, and distilling the, the collective experience. And um, uh, thank you for the honor. It was a true pleasure. And I hope you come back and uh, we'd love to talk to you again. All right, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Bursers up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Have a good bike ride. All right. See ya. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on another tour of the writer's process. If you enjoy the Writer Files podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or review to help other writers find us. For more episodes or to leave a comment or a question, you can drop by writerfiles.fm and you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.